I was a kid at church, and we used to read this passage, this is what we used to get told. So, you've got to put God first, we got told, before you do anything. Therefore, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, in essence, spend about 10 minutes reading the Bible and asking God to bless everything that you've planned to do, and you're good and fine after that. Now, I'm pretty sure that isn't what they meant, but that's absolutely the meaning that I took from this. Uh, and I want to talk today about how that is so not what Jesus is saying today. The interesting thing about this is that Jesus is saying, don't worry about all this stuff. And that, as John Smith was pointing out, is a very easy thing to say not a fantastically easy thing to do. But what Jesus does is give us the solution to worry. That's pretty handy, isn't it? Who wants the solution to worry? Okay, about four people want the solution to worry. The rest of you are clearly best friends with your worry you coax it and nurture it, keep it warm at night. About three o'clock in the morning is the time when we acquaint ourselves intimately with our worry and remind it how much we love it. And uh, we'd sooner not sleep, but just fret about all sorts of things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The shed on my allotment blew down. So me and Sarah flattened it yesterday with Becky's help. So um, four o'clock in the morning was the time when it's important for me to think about how on earth I'm going to transfer all the bits of this old shed away, because it is tremendously and life-changingly important for me to be concerned about these things. I just want you to know that, that I know worry well. It's a good friend of mine, but it's not what we're told to do. Now, there are three problems with this and what Jesus is saying that I want to talk about. But the first one really is about what we think about the kingdom of heaven. Because, see, the thing is that Jesus defined the kingdom of heaven, and He defined the kingdom of heaven like the modern church doesn't teach the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, but Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven not the way the modern church has taught the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven like this. He said, and this is the context of this passage. So the reason I've put in worry is because Jesus didn't sort of, you know, go away, have a holiday, come back, and out of the blue go, by the way, seek the kingdom of heaven. This is part of a long dialogue that Jesus had. And part of it was don't worry about anything. Instead, seek first the kingdom of heaven. But the context in which he put that in was this is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus starts at the very beginning of his public speaking, he says, it is this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, declare freedom for captives 
and release from darkness for prisoners, meaning spiritual prisoners, but it includes actual prisoners. Then he goes on to say, this is the deal for those of you who want to have any part of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then later on, as his disciples are learning, so this is possibly 18 months later, as his disciples are learning the implications of following Jesus, he, he starts to point out a few things for them to understand. So he goes, look, here's the thing. When judgment comes, and Jesus talks more about judgment than any other person in the Bible, so we can be sure it's going to happen. When judgment comes, and this is to Christians, this is the disciples, say, I'm going to separate sheep from goats. And the people that I will identify with are the ones who do this. They feed the hungry. They give drink to thirsty people. They look after those who are sick. They visit those who are in prison. These are the people I'm going to look after. The people who don't do that, they're goats. Not greatest of all time, by the way, getting rid of the opposite. Now, that's very different. He also says this. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he's quite shocking in a modern sense because he says, because, and those people go, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We threw out demons in your name. We had deliverance in your name. And he's going to say, and this is Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus' words says, I don't know you. Now, that's quite interesting that Jesus gives these warnings. In other words, what people like me have been taught and read often in books, that the kingdom of God is about gifts of the Spirit and miracles. And I'm not saying that it isn't, but that Jesus does not have these as the criteria for the kingdom of God, but merely their byproducts. But if the essentials of the kingdom of God do not exist, then the byproducts, like the religious sacrifices of the Old Testament, become not just meaningless, but unacceptable. And the kingdom of God, as Jesus defines it, is this, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, look after the sick, visit the lonely, build your character so that you are meek and you are humble and that your hunger and thirst is after righteousness, which is what we're going to talk about. So I know that in modern terms, and it is true in modern terms, and maybe in modern terms we're talking the last three or four hundred years, not just the last thirty years, it's controversial to actually talk about the kingdom of heaven as Jesus described it. My goodness. But we've got another side here, which is what is the command then that Jesus actually gives us? What is the actual command? And here's the actual command. The command is this. Seek first. Seek first. That's a command. 
So do not worry. Seek first. That's the command. Now, seek is an interesting word. So, the word basically talks about an eager, focused pursuit. This is where my childhood teaching kind of fell short, because it wasn't a quick 10 minutes in the morning, although that's pretty well what I got given when I was a kid. But it isn't that. And I, to be honest, right, I was reasonably religious about that for a while. And then I kind of stopped being reasonably religious because, to be honest, I'm a bit rubbish at being reasonably religious about anything. Um, I can be unreasonably irreligious quite a lot of the time. But having said that, many of my more righteous friends uh, and family managed to be absolutely rigidly religious about the 10 minutes every morning and yet, interestingly. But that isn't what we're told. Jesus tells some stories about seeking. He talks about uh, a woman who absolutely scours the entire house. Do you remember that story? Takes everything out of the house, empties the place to try and find the thing that she has lost. The implications of this are, and I agree with John Smith, who, who advises me often that we shouldn't overanalyze, if you like, parables because they say enough uh, in themselves. So let's just deal with what it says, which it was essentially Jesus saying it's empty our lives of everything. Put it all outside until we find what is really of value. Then he talks about a merchant who discovers a pearl that's phenomenally expensive, but unbelievably valuable. And what does the merchant do? The merchant gets rid of all, everything. He sells off the whole lot just to have the thing that is of real value. What's the parable saying? The parable is saying, ditch everything in order to get the life. Then he tells a joke. It's quite a good joke, but it was only really a good joke for shepherds. So, although we do have some shepherds here, I'll try and explain it to you. Okay, so he says, a shepherd has a sheep that's missing, and he leaves the 99 and goes to find it. Now, I know in sermons we've romanticized this to the point where, but when Jesus told this, right, there's all these people, and they are falling about, because this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Those of you who know anything about sheep, and some of you might, is that sheep are good for two things, eating grass and finding ways to kill themselves. That's essentially what sheep are good at, and they are better at killing themselves than even eating grass. They just are amazingly self-destructive things. You know what I mean? So the idea that you leave 99 unattended to find one, it's basically going, hey sheep, you know how you like to kill yourselves? Knock yourselves out. I'm off. They would have found this hilarious, unreasonable, just the most ridiculous thing you would ever do. But there's the idea. 
is you have all of this, but actually what you need is this. Therefore, even if you're going to lose all of this, leave it because this is what you need. Seeking. Seeking. Seeking is not like a man look. Are we like, we've been talking about men. Do you know what a man look is? Yeah, I know. Yes, you know, aren't you? A man look is this. A man look is something is missing. Okay? The bloke wants a thing. He goes. He picks up a towel or two. He opens a drawer while looking the other way and shuts the drawer and then goes to his wife and goes, I cannot find what I'm looking for. It's terrible. I can't find it anywhere. To at which point she then sighs deeply, goes directly to where it is, picks it up, puts it in his hand, sighs deeply again in, speaking from a male perspective, in a particularly irritating kind of way. But what, but what can you say? And storms off again. Of course, what the man then has a silent and rather smug smile to himself as he sees that his wife's self-esteem has gone up enormously. And she hasn't realized that he did all of that just as a ruse. <laughs> for her, for her to feel good about herself that day. <laughs> we are good husbands, aren't we? Tell that to John Aldrich. It's a good one, yeah. Um, I might be joking. But it's not a man look. It's not a quick flick through and then on to more important business. Jesus says, seek. And what he means is, Literally that. Turn everything upside down and do not stop until you get it. And if everything is in disarray, if everything has been sold off, if everything is gone, if everything else has self-destructed, then so be it. I appreciate this is not the Western lifestyle. This is not the Western Christian lifestyle. But this is what Jesus says, says seek. The second bit about seek is first. Seek first. First really only can mean one thing, can't it? First can mostly only mean first, number one before everything else. When my daughter was young, um, I'm being asked which daughter, narrow it down, they're both here now listening avidly. Yeah, pressure's on guys. When my uh, older daughter was, uh, was, was younger, used to ask her to do so. She was a very willing soul, bless her. But I used to ask her to do something and she would go, Yes, I'm just going to do this first. I don't know, maybe that's, that's you, but I'm just going to do this first. 
And then, and then after about an hour, you go, are you, are you coming to watch? You go, yeah, I'm coming. Because she was a teenager at that point. Um, and, and the thing was, it wasn't first. It was second. I mean, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that I had daughters who were willing to help. I, I really appreciate that. But the idea of first hadn't quite made it. Now, what irritated me was obviously that she hadn't grasped that what I want first should be first, as opposed to what she wants first should be first, uh, taking it entirely from her perspective. But here's the thing. If what God wants first is first, then first means first, not second. Do you know what I mean? It's not when I've got a spare minute it's not, it's like this is the business first, and this is what Jesus says. Seek first. Now remember, this is Jesus' solution to worry. And there are four people in this room that don't want to worry anymore. I know, I did a poll. And this is the solution. Seek. When? Hey. Not in your spare time. Not just on Sunday. First. One of the things I find quite interesting, I know you've heard me rant because I'm a ranter, uh, about the idea that we talk about people who help in church as volunteers. And I really struggle with that phrase because it's not a discipleship phrase. But it works the same way in, in that serving the kingdom of God, which doesn't have to be the church. I mean, you know, get me wrong, but serving the kingdom of God is not a leisure activity for the Christian. It is not a leisure activity for the Christian. You see, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you have work and you have leisure. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have work, you have serving the kingdom, and you have leisure. And again, I will not say that this is my view, this is how Jesus talks, that there is this thing that we have signed up for. And Jesus says, first, first, that's a challenge, and it's interesting. It's the top priority. But here's the challenge then. Because if we actually behave like this, what do we do about the other things that are important to us? Will they be neglected? Will we miss out? That's a worry. And Jesus said, don't worry. <laughs> Jesus said, don't worry and then just suggested one of the most worrying behaviors ever. Thanks for that, Jesus. Isn't discipleship easy? But we've got to go back to the same thing, is that Jesus reserves, here we go, I hope you agree with this, but Jesus reserves the right to define what the kingdom of God is. Do you think that's fair? Jesus reserves the right to define what the kingdom of God is. And I've explained to you, and I hope that you will go and look this up. But Jesus' description of what the kingdom of God is, is as I've described it. 
It's a sacrificial service. It's about those things. It doesn't include lots of other things as its main priority. Does it mean these things are bad in themselves? No. Does it mean they could be bad in themselves? Yes. How do they become bad in themselves? Because they take the place of Jesus as the first priority. We have a name for that in the church. We call that an idol. That is where we look Jesus straight in the eye and choose to prioritize something else. And I would like to say that I was not describing 95% of the Western church, but sadly, that's probably how it is. One of the things, can I just tell you, that the Western world likes to sell at the moment is this. It likes to sell to Western people that tokenism fixes things. It likes to sell that tokenism fixes things. So we have millions of children starving in the world, for example. And what needs to change is very, very radical. And would actually require the public in the Western world to require something very different of their governments, and that it possibly in themselves require something different in lifestyle. But what we can do with people who feel moved about the plight of children in the world is to identify one and have a massive campaign where about 60 or 80,000 people give something for this. I'm not saying this child is not important, but having done that, we've done our bit. And we are reassured that we've done our bit. What we've in fact done is something quite tokenistic. Now let's hope that that particular individual child is fixed. It's a bit like, you know these um, websites where people give because they've been pointed out and somebody who's homeless gets 300,000 pounds. But obviously nobody else homeless gets anything. And we believe that tokenism fixes. It's a good media spin. It sells a lot of stuff. When, of course, what we know is the solution is longer term and harder and more difficult and requires not just individual lifestyle change, but actually societal change. And that's a challenging thing, and it all seems a bit too big. But it works the same here, that discipleship is not resolved by tokens. It's the same. Discipleship with Jesus seeking first requires a radical life change. And we get worried about that. It's much easier to do a thing, feel that's enough, ignore for a while. And I get that, but that isn't what Jesus said. And Jesus deserves the right to define what the kingdom is, or does he not? I think he does. So Jesus' command is clear. Be strongly focused first before anything else on what I have defined as priorities. Be strongly focused before anything else on what I, Jesus, have defined as priorities. That's the challenge. And what's his first priority? We started our series with this. You must be born again. If you do not know Jesus, 
then what he offers is a solution for your life. And it is this, that what you fight against, what you struggle with, what beats you up and bears you down, what makes you regret, where you cannot do or be what you want to be because of you, Jesus can heal all of that. He can change your life radically because He paid the price for what is wrong with me. And what is wrong with me? I'm sinful. I am not right. And He paid the price, and He can change that. But the challenge for me is that if I take that offer, I then have to live in that reality. And this is what Jesus is saying here, is if you've taken that offer, live in that reality, that first, first kingdom of God. And then, here's the thing that that we're promised. That if we do that, God will take care of everything else. God will look after the rest. Does that mean that we don't ever have to do a day's work again. Please, don't kid yourself. But will your day's work be enough for you? We have to trust God on that. Will it supply what you need? We have to trust God on that. Will the relationships that we need keep us going? We have to trust God on that. Will the people that we love and care about be looked after? We have to trust God on that. We're not capitulating responsibility here, ladies and gentlemen, but what we are doing is we are redefining our priorities. And until we redefine those priorities, we spend our time chasing the things that God has said He will take care of and ignoring the things that we have been told to take care of. And the net result of that is anxiety. That's the net result, is that we worry about the things that we can't control instead of letting God control them. Instead of worrying about the things that we can control, which of course would mean that we wouldn't worry because we'd look at it and we'd go, we know that's in hand. Interesting, isn't it? That is what the deal is given. And it's interesting. The challenge for each of us is, can we trust God enough? Can we trust God enough to change our priorities? Can we trust God enough to change our priorities? In the past, and and, and I've been in a lot of churches, constantly told by people, I I mean, genuinely, stand at the front of the church and they go, because they get a bit worried that they've been too challenging, I want you to know I worry about this. Sadly, it doesn't stop me, but I do worry about it. And, and kind of sermons end like, does that mean I have to sell my house and give all my money away? And then the preacher goes, no. Well, I'm not going to say that because I don't know. It might do. Does that mean I have to give up the job I've got and get something else? I don't know. It might do. It might require big changes like that. It might require smaller changes. It might require slightly different things. But what I'm not going to say is, is God not challenging you to make a big change in your life? I can't say that. I'm not God. He might be. 
but it might be something considerably more minor. It might just be about your giving. It might just be about a bit of extra time. It might just be about a relationship that you haven't got forgiveness in that you need to work on. It might be a different kind of priority that maybe seems like nothing to other people but is a big deal to you. It might be finally telling people in work that you're a Christian instead of keeping it a secret. It might be all sorts of things. I don't know, but I'm not going to rule out anything because Jesus said the potential is, yes, you have to pretty well abandon the lot and start again. And if it's that important to you, you will do it. And there's the challenge. It is a challenge. Maybe our priorities need to change. Maybe our thinking needs to adjust. One of the things I, I quite like when I used to work uh, you know, around people who wanted to make changes or who said they wanted to make changes but didn't really want to make changes was that if you help somebody to see that they weren't really making the change, their response to that was to be really angry at you because then they didn't have to focus on making the change. They could spend a lot of time just being angry with you. Can I just say that leading a church is not dissimilar to that? Then again, the opportunity for the Christian is to be angry at the people who say what they don't want to hear instead of listening to what they ought to hear and doing something about it. Now, I'm not saying that to say, aha, this proves I'm right. I'm, I'm really not doing that. But what I am saying is that sometimes what we have to hear is a difficult thing to hear. And what we have to do is a difficult thing. But if it's seek first, then seek first is what it is. And there's the challenge. Do we trust God enough to change our priorities? Do we love people enough? Do we love Jesus enough to change our priorities? Do we? Jesus defines the priorities. And what His promise is, is this. If you seek these first, then God will add on all the other things. Can I just finish with two stories? Stories. Life facts that I've just been encountering recently. So John Paul Getty III was the grandchild and potentially the inheritor of the largest fortune in the world. When he was 28 years old, after quite a long time of abuse, he took a massive overdose, had a huge stroke, was immobilized and unable to speak for the next 20 years and then died aged 54. He had absolutely everything that the world aspires to. Now, some people say, well, that's all very well, but he had all the baggage that goes with, you know, dodgy parallel. Okay, I'll tell you another guy, I won't tell you his name. In Britain, he won the biggest Euro millions payout in history. In six years after winning that, he got divorced and then died without having the chance to spend any of it. And yet, the West is still convinced that money and stuff makes your life work. 
But Jesus says, don't worry about any of that stuff. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added because your Father in heaven knows what you need. Do we trust enough to change our priorities? Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you need to, you don't know. Maybe you have to go and have a look because we're doing some seeking. So maybe we have to go and actually actively look and think, right, okay, I'm going to do an audit. I'm going to take some time. I don't know. I want to know. I want to find out. I'm going to look at what I do with my time and my money and my priorities, my relationships. I'm going to have a look. I'm going to see. Maybe that's what you need to do. What we're looking at here, ladies and gentlemen, is life change, not token gestures. Life change, not token gestures, where we seek first the kingdom of God. So that's my, my challenge to you. Jesus' command is, don't worry, seek first the kingdom of God. Let's do that. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, <coughs> I thank you that your promises are true and that we can trust you. That you mean it when you say that if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all the things that we need will be added to us because our Father in heaven knows what we need. And Lord, I just want to tell you today, I believe you. I believe you. Forgive me for the times when I behave like I don't believe you. Rescue me from my own insecurities, Lord, and give me more faith that I might more and more seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, trusting that what I need will be provided. Lord, I know that you are the one who loves me more than anyone else. Bless me, enable me, enable all the people here to see that you love them and have your hand of favor on them and that we can trust you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.